Hello and welcome to Healthline 3. I'm Terry Simmons. Today we're talking with Dr. Michael Magali of Willis Knight in Cardiology. We're going to be talking about the advances in treating complex coronary artery disease. We'll be taking your calls throughout the show. And as a reminder, please make sure you're in a quiet room with your TV turned down all the way so we can hear you and you can hear the answers to your questions. The number to call is 318-219-4569 and you'll be able to see it across the bottom of your screen throughout the show. Thank you so much for being here, Doctor. Thank you, Terry. It's a pleasure. Oh, it's our pleasure. This is fascinating to me, and I'm sure to a lot of our viewers, because um, it's all about complex coronary disease and artery disease. And we're going to talk about how we were talking about earlier, you and I off camera and on camera um, early this morning about how um, coronary disease, heart attacks, it's all a big umbrella for a lot of specific terms that we can talk about today and kind of redefine what's going on with all the things that you may hear about generally when you go to the doctor or you wonder about. Um, so let's talk about what this complex disease means first. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. And uh, I, I, I'd start by saying that coronary artery disease is very, very common. It's like, um, again, the most common cause of death. And, um, you know, we have gone a long way in treating those. And that coronary artery disease, it's exactly as you said, it's an umbrella for a lot of terms. So it includes this disease that is acute, that comes acutely, like heart attacks, and you go to the hospital, and it's a lot of times life-threatening, and also encompasses the other um, spectrum, which is, you know, stapling, you just get chest pain when you walk, shortness of breath, all that, and this disease, um, both spectrums can be, can range from being just easier to treat to difficult to treat, to what they, at some point, called impossible to treat or there's no option. And um, it's, an, it's a new field in interventional cardiology to be able to treat what was supposedly not treatable or very, very, very hard to treat. And that is, that is what encompasses the term complex coronary artery disease. Right. And we were talking about earlier, it hasn't been too long ago. This has really been in the forefront. We're hearing a lot about this. And it's alarming at first. You might think, oh, no, there's more people are getting coronary artery disease or having these problems. But that's not true. The reason we're hearing about it, and I really want to stress that again, is because there's so much advancement in the treatment, which yeah. is really what we want people to know today, right? That is very true. Like, this started years and years and years back with coronary artery disease. It started by treating it with just a balloon and mainly surgery for a long time. And uh, with time, stenting had come out and a lot of techniques had come out to treat it. But still, it was very limited in treating a lot of these diseases, like exactly uh, as an example, when they are very calcified, they have a lot of calcium, this is very tough to treat. Um, when they have multiple vessels, this is a very tough to treat. And, and we're going to talk about this, the arteries that are 100% occluded, wow. what we call chronic total occlusion. This has been like a place of no-go for a long time. And as you said, in the last you know, two decades, there's been a lot of advancements in treating those. That's why they are being brought into attention. That's why we talk to patients and tell them, well, you still have other options other than surgery. and even if surgery is not an option, we still have a final option to offer right now, these days. It's hard to believe that it wasn't that long ago where people were told, I'm sorry, there's not any more we can do, and they were sent home, right? There just wasn't. Yeah, and the sad thing is there still some, sure. some people, they still are told 
that they have no option but um, because because the knowledge that this is advancement has happened and it's there is is not is not out there yet and you know it's uh it's an important thing to you know bring attention that having no option is probably a term of the past we hope still there will be a very very little uh percentage of people that really have no option but now we can offer options to a lot of people. And that's amazing, I'm sure, and so gratifying to you and in, in your field here to help other people to know that you can yeah. offer, even just having the conversation to sell, tell someone there are so many options we can try. Yeah. It's got yeah. to be Yeah, yeah. It is amazing. very gratifying. That's why I, uh, <laughs> you know, I went right straight to that, <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to that field. So oh. I, I went to uh, Detroit and Henry Ford Hospital to train specifically for treating complex disease and chronic occlusions and uh, it is actually one of only five programs in the country. Yeah, you were telling me about that. Let's talk yeah. a little bit about the program because you have been to Chicago, Arizona, Detroit. You've trained in this specifically all over. Yeah. So let, what, tell us about the program. Well, you know, as physicians we train a lot. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, all the time. You know, interventional cardiology is a specific one-year training and I, I did that in Arizona. but having another extra year of specific training to do a lot of these complex cases and chronic total occlusions was it was a privilege so i went to detroit and uh, we throughout the year we only did these cases that were referred to us from everywhere ohio m michigan everywhere all right well, i think we have a caller for you oh, jerry sure. thank you for calling what's your question well how you doing we're doing great Good. how are you how are you Oh, pretty good. I have a question. Uh, a person who is a diabetic, and they have uh, uh, low sugar, and they sit there and have a seizure. Uh, does this, if you have a bad heart, does that affect your heart or not? Well, that, well, that's a that's a heart. great question. So. If I'm understanding correctly, you're saying that having a seizure from low sugar does that affect your heart or not? Correct. Yeah. If you have, if you have a bad heart. Well, uh, having a bad heart, I mean that that gives you a very low threshold of tolerating a lot of things, and seizures are a very stressful event on the heart and the whole body. So I would say it would not be the best thing. It can it can induce a lot of uh, it can induce a lot of bad things like heart attack or something, although this might not be very common. Um, the best thing is to not get sugar get too low and not to have a seizure, of course. But yeah, it, it, can, it, can, it can affect it for sure. Yeah, well, so yeah, I had a, uh, a, a bad heart attack uh, 2014. I was in ICU for 18 days. And wow. You know, I am a diabetic, oh. and uh, I did have a seizure. Yeah, I did have a low sugar, and I finally laid there for about an hour and a half going through the seizures and stuff before anybody realized that I was having a problem. Oh. And then I got sent to the emergency room, and I was about six hours there getting my sugar back. And my doctor said, I was trying to explain to him that I was at the emergency room, and I said, yeah, I have a... You know, I have a heart a heart problem. He said, "Oh, that doesn't have anything to do with your heart." 
I was just wondering. Yeah, <laughs> at that time, if it did not affect it at that time, then it did not do anything. As I said, most of the times it does not, but it can. And you're very lucky. Well, I understand that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I was just wondering that because it didn't make any sense to me if you have a heart, you know, a heart trouble and you go through a seizure and you, I mean, you know, you sit there flipping and flopping and, and unconscious and uh, I, yeah. I thought it would probably wouldn't be good for your heart. <laughs> it, it definitely is not, but... It, it can induce an event or not, and in your case it did not, which is a really good thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate talking to you, Doc. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you Thank so you. much for calling, Jerry, and we're happy that everything turned out okay. That yeah. really is a, a concern, I guess, when you already have a what's called a bad heart. Anything can affect it, but that was interesting that you said if it was going to, it would have affected you in the moment. It would have it's happened in, in that specific event. Yeah. It would have affected in the moment, mm -hmm. but having long-term effects from that is probably not, not mm -hmm. something that we see very well. And if someone is walking around with what they're told is a bad heart, that term, is that a, a, a broad term for what could be going on? Does anyone really have a bad heart? Well, it's, it's not... Uh, Once you've had damage? I would say it's not a very scientific term, <laughs> <laughs> but it encompasses a lot of things. It can include like heart failure, it can include coronary artery disease, it can include a lot of things. Okay. And uh, yeah, and that's when we investigate more when we hear the word bad heart, but uh, hopefully, you know, uh, hopefully bad heart can turn into good. Can turn into good. <laughs> so would you, it, once a heart is damaged, like if you have a heart attack or something and it damages the heart, is, does it stay damaged or is it like, any kind of muscle where it can get better and stronger and, and heal itself? And well, great question. It depends on the extent of damage. Okay. So if, like what we were speaking about heart attacks, if heart attacks are, you know, if you go to the hospital at the right time, you, you don't ignore your chest pain, and you get it fixed right away, the amount of damage is very, very minimal. Mm -hmm. It might not affect it at all. If you, you know, delay, you know, think it's just dyspepsia, it's just nothing, and then turns out to be a heart attack and time passes, uh, it's a muscle, and, and, and there is a saying, you say time is muscle, so every time it's like you got some muscle fibers die. But that's not the end of it, because a lot of times if we intervene in a reasonable time and we get blood flow to the heart, the amount of damage that is done can be compensated. and with kind of medications everything I mean the heart can do pretty well mm -hmm. and you said specifically you were really drawn to this when we you lit up when we were talking about ways to help people and what what brought you to this specialty what is it that you that you found so interesting and about coronary disease well uh, so I have a surgical background mm -hmm. and uh, I used to be a surgeon and uh, honestly um, it's a lot of invasive things to do. Open people up and cut people up and uh, I mean sometimes it's absolutely needed but with the advancements of this that I have heard about since I came to US I was really drawn to be able to you know help people through less invasive approaches. So instead of cutting you up you just go through arm or the leg and you know fix it do the same thing. And uh, yeah and you can say you know, a passion for, you know, helping people that are, you know, told 
well, you cannot be helped. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's very gratifying. I'm sure, and we're very grateful too <laughs> that you're here with this, especially yeah. this program, like you said, is one in five in yeah. the country? Yeah, the training programs, like the, the organized training programs, just one in five in the country. Right. And, and we hope to grow it, we hope to make this a more, uh, you know, more available to everybody and uh, and that's what that's that's our role so i i'm very involved in uh, in in writing on the topic and on writing the books on the topic and uh, a lot of research as well and the teaching teaching physicians on the techniques on how to do that and what are the terms what are the tools how to use it so I'll it's like our goal as a community is to make this available to a lot of people. Yeah, because like you said, physicians and surgeons are always training, always learning. <laughs> and luckily there's true. so much information out there. And then, then what you do is with every patient you treat, that's research right there. So then it's able to teach and, and write and document everything that you're learning and it just all works together in this huge network of healing between physicians and surgeons. Always learning, always teaching what you've exactly. learned, right? Exactly. And so, and we get to benefit from all of that. Helps everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us what these, these treatments in this program actually does offer. So our viewers here in Shreveport, Bozeman, all over the Arklatex, all of our viewing area are hearing about these advanced treatments. Um, let's start with, you wanna start with first, like what, what this disease, how it's diagnosed or, or how this comes about before the treatment actually happens? So it is diagnosed the regular way. Uh, coronary artery disease is diagnosed, chest pain, shortness of breath. Most people undergo some stress test and they undergo an angiogram and they found very, you know, bad disease or, you know, then they are either offered surgery for that and they are told, you know, your disease is too extensive, you need surgery. And most of the time surgery has a lot of great benefits, but sometimes people are not candidates, you know. They cannot undergo surgery, they are older, they already had surgery before, so doing a redo surgery is very, very risky. Have like other disease, like kidney disease, liver disease, lung disease, so they un cannot undergo surgery. At this moment, when you don't have the surgical option and you have very, very complex disease, the option is, to, well, is there someone able to do this? or will we just give you medicine and that's it. That's how it's, that's how it's diagnosed, that's how it comes, comes about. And then according to you know, the community, where it's available, what are the tools available, this determines the face of the patients. And um, the, the, the tools and techniques that we use are like so extensive, but uh, most of these can be treated with a percutaneous approach. Okay. Without surgery. Without surgery. So what are some of the advanced treatments? So so the regular treatments for coronary artery disease are like balloon angioplasty, which is going in, crossing that lesion, ballooning it with a balloon, opening flow, and putting in a stent. So that's the regular treatment. The problem with complex disease is that it is either very difficult to cross it or get around it, it is very difficult to balloon it because it's very tight and tough and calcified. Or it is like 100% occluded, which is not the way a normal wire can go. So what we do in, this, in these situations is that we can attack this occlusion from both sides. So we go, yeah, we go, we use like two catheters and we go around through the small channels in the heart 
and try to make a connection. And then when we make a connection, we can place in the stent and, and the vessel should be open. So, yeah, and the, this technique has been, you know, uh, being, you know, developed in the last two decades, three decades. And uh, it's been amazing how we got so far. <laughs> we can do it with lesser catheters. We can do it with smaller catheters. We can uh, go around things that were, like, impossible to do years back. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, and so say you are going in, so it's like one vein or artery and it's the, the catheter's coming from each. So how does that happen? Is there an incision? How do you, like, so you, what, is, um, what are the tests first to find out where the occlusion is? is so, so we find it by an angiogram. Mm -hmm. So just the regular angiogram you have when, when, when you have like a post-stress test or chest pain. And that, that shows us like everything in the heart and where the arteries are and where the occlusion and blockages are. And then at this point, we decide, you know, we spend a lot of time on developing this strategy. It's like a code. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they say she spent like 20 minutes looking only at the <laughs> area. Oh, Just looking. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then we decide on which ways to go. We, we decide which channels are supplying this vessel. And then we try to go with two catheters and use special wires, special microcatheters to go around these small, small channels in the heart, trying to get it from the back and then try to connect. And yeah, it can be lengthy. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And so, so in, if people don't know, or they're not familiar with what an angiogram is, describe how an angiogram yeah, is so done. So an angiogram is basically a test where you, where we get uh, like a small tube in the, either the groin or the, or the arm. We go to the heart with a tube and then we selectively go into the heart arteries and shoot a dye. And under x-ray, the dye shows us the coronary arteries or the heart arteries. And it's like the best test for seeing the arteries and seeing what is going on with them. So it, is, it has been there for so long and it's still the best. <laughs> and this is with, with dye? Is yeah. there, is, has the dye itself been improved also? What is it about the oh. dye? Does it light up? Does it know where to go? What is, what is special about this dye? So yeah. this dye is what we call radiopaque, meaning if you put it under x-ray, it gives you a very, very distinct uh, view. Mm -hmm. It's black. And oh my God, it has been advanced so much in the, in the past. There is like dye that can give you a lot of allergies. It was very thick. It can hurt the kidneys much. Oh. And in the last like 12 years or something, the advance has been great. Now, now the risk of allergy is very low and the amount, the amount of countries that we give is going higher because it does not have, still affects the kidneys, but not as before. Like everything is 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 advancing, and like in all our benefit. That's really good to know too, because yeah. I never thought about the dye causing anything or it not being yeah. very healthy to even have that done. So uh, I'm sure that's always a choice too for the patient, you oh, know, to course. understand all of that, you know. Oh, and if they say I don't really want dye injected, is there another way? Do you find out? Are there alternatives? Or well, another way to find out if they don't want that? So, yeah, it's a science of itself. So if if we are like more than 90% sure that this is coronary artery disease, the best thing is to go for an angiogram. Right. The best thing, because mm -hmm. that's what shows us what's going on. If the, if the possibility is, you know, in the middle or lower, we can do a stress test. And if the stress test is normal, you're fine. Then 
most of the times you're fine and there is no issues with that but if it's if you chose something you know the end result is getting an angiogram still right so and you worked out the way the odds too because yeah, you're really exactly. trying to save your heart of course and there hasn't been you know that much that we say that the dye is going to cause you know no no it's not in these days at all especially, especially we pay close attention to the amount of dye we give mm -hmm. close attention right. and we never give an amount that Hopefully, most of the time, we never give an amount that is higher than what the kidney can tolerate. Yeah. So, very much lower doses, and it's much better too. It's yeah, improved too. So, that is very not true. to worry if you're someone who Google's the internet and tries to find all that kind of stuff out. And very safe yeah. procedures. Another advancement. What else can you tell us about the advances in in this program? Well, uh, I can tell you, we are trying to bring that to Shapur Bozier and. Uh, we have actually done two patients already with chronic occlusions in the past three weeks, and they are doing great. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, um, there are a lot of people here that need help. A lot of so people here need help. Yeah. Well, we're glad you're here. A lot of people need yeah. help. Yeah. So what are the kind of things that we can do to, uh, is there anything we can do to prevent this? Is there a lifestyle that we can live? Um, is it, do we need to pay attention to um, if we have it in our family? What are the kind of things that you see um, that this comes up in certain patients? Well, I, I'll tell you the, the short answer is that there is no one single thing. Mm -hmm. It is a lot of genetics and, and family history that can cause this. Um, and this we don't have age, we cannot control. But what we can control is what we eat and our activities. That's, I think that is the most important thing. Like what we eat, salt, fried food, less veggies and, and, and you know, and fruits, you know. All the, this specific diet is associated with, with bad coronary disease. And of course, inactivity and not exercising. I think these two factors can summarize it all. Yeah. And would you say that's and that's just the answer to get out ahead of anything? Like get as healthy as you can um, exactly. first. Um, just make that. The, and it doesn't mean it means in moderation. We talk about this a lot here, especially living in the South because we got this great fried food. Yeah. And sometimes, like now, the weather is it's too hot. I mean, it is dangerous to get out and try to exercise. You might overdo it. I mean, there are all kinds of things that fall into the conditions and the cultures and where you are. So what's the mindset? What do you tell someone to just, to, when they say that, all of these things that are coming up? Well, great thing, great question, and it depends on um, who I'm talking to. So I was <laughs> recently talking uh, to a very nice gentleman, and he says, just love potato chips. And <laughs> I, I cannot stop eating potato chips. I told him, listen, I won't tell you to stop it, but if you're eating two bags, I'll like, I ask you to eat one, and let's see in three months. I mean, it all starts with small steps. You yeah. can never like you can never like turn into, uh, you know, a vegetarian, you know, overnight. athlete overnight. It cannot. Happen. Wish we could. That'd be great. <laughs> if I could just you know wake yeah. up and already be like, yeah. Yeah, it's not great. about it. It all starts with <laughs> small things. You eat a lot of salt, reduce a little bit. If you don't eat veggies at all, just start with one thing, and it it starts like that. Do you feel like that's come a long way too? Because it seems like back in the day, um, it would be like, don't do that. <laughs> you know, yeah. cut out 
all your salt and yeah. because that was really all we really knew it was the terminology a long time ago and this is like you know exactly. 30 40 years ago and and doctors physicians everybody was doing the best they could and just saying you know what just don't don't eat salt don't eat fried foods don't yeah. eat you know and yeah. now it's so much better it's like we understand we're human and if you do cut something all the way out, do you find if a patient does try to cut something out, they're just going to replace it with something else something that might else. be equally as dangerous? Uh, well, it, it depends. Yeah. It depends as well. And again, it depends on the individual. And, and I think your question is very smart. Thank but, you. Uh, your question is very smart. <laughs> and your point as well, like we discovered that if you tell someone to just don't do that, they will not listen to you, which is very understandable. I mean, it took us a lot, a lot of time, a lot of psychology research to find out, but it's very intuitive, right? So when you tell someone to cut out something or, or turn down, you know, some of what they're doing, yeah, you got to be careful you're not introducing any uh, another harmful thing, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and and that's, that's, that's part of the overall, that's part of the overall discussion. And I think people now understand what is uh, what is it that they need to do. They just need a little push, you know. Need a little push. Yeah. A little push and support. Yes. And it's it's nice to hear too. I'm sure the patient, especially if a patient comes in worried about heart disease or um, any kind of blockage or anything with their circulation, anything like that. That's such a mystery to a patient a to hear moderation. I love that you said, you know. I, I like chips too, but if you're eating two <laughs> bags, how about we just eat one? Yeah. You know, yeah. one one bag, even if it's one big bag, just yeah. one. Just one and revisit in three months. I'm not saying keep eating That's one. That's right. Yeah. And revisit. Let's keep yeah. just keep checking. Exactly. Um, which is really nice. And I think, do you see that it takes a lot of the shame too out of it too? Like people come and they're embarrassed because maybe they've lived this lifestyle or they feel like they don't walk enough when there's so much pressure out there to be athletic, not just yeah. fit, but athletic. And yeah. I think we have another call. What's the name? Vera? Vera. Hi. What is your question for the doctor? Um, I have a question. I'm trying to see, like, if your chest is hurting, like, you can't, it's like somebody smothering you in your chest. Is is this, I just caught the end of the, what y'all talking about. So is this part of my question? Did you hear? There's a symptom. I think you heard like it feels like someone's smothering you on your chest. That's that's what it feels that, like. Yes, yeah, like I've been complaining about my chest for the last week. Oh. Yes, I've been complaining about my chest been hurting. I do have a big blood clot in my lung. Oh. And I was in a bad wreck last year. Oh. Hmm. So the term that you're using is smothering you in your chest that is a little concerning and uh, most of the typical pain that comes from the heart is described as this pressure smothering an elephant sitting on my chest it is uh it is like a it, it is kind of typical i recommend that you get checked as soon as possible okay yeah does okay. That, does that answer your question, Vera? Uh, yes, ma'am. Okay. All right. Good luck to you. I hope you get checked mm -hmm. and you feel better. And I'm sorry about your accident. And thank you so much for calling. And so that is another thing, talking about feeling smothered on the chest. We've heard before it's like an elephant and standing on our chest. And yeah. You know, those kind of... And it's hard for us to describe, too. Do you suggest that we just come in and just tell you, not try to 
Oh, sound too um, you know knowledgeable. Really, just tell you exactly how it feels. Yeah, and and another another important point. This typical pain it happens in a certain percentage of people, but otherwise people might not think it's the heart. Sometimes it comes with just shoulder pain. Sometimes right. it comes with some, especially in women, it just comes with feeling a dyspepsia or something, and I'm not feeling right, and. You know, and people usually ask, how do I know if this is just dyspepsia or, or, or something? And I mean, the easier way is, you know, take a dyspepsia medication. If it doesn't go away in half an hour or an hour, I mean, you should be a little concerned that it might not be right. just dyspepsia. So being alert, having people understand that this can be a symptom is very important. Right, and don't be afraid to ask. Don't be embarrassed. Oh, of I mean, it'd be great if I came in and think I'm having a heart attack, and you said, "No, it's just a little bit. You're okay. It's indigestion." I, totally I would agree. love to hear that. Mm -hmm. And so we need to not be embarrassed if we come in and we think we're being overly dramatic. There's no such thing with your health. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I mean, if you're a little concerned, you should get checked. Definitely get checked. Of course. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um, what else would you like to leave our viewers with today about this 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 condition, and what what do patients need to know? Well, uh, as you said, it's very important to prevent it in the first place and uh, take steps while you're healthy, mm -hmm. um, not take steps when you are diagnosed. It's, that's very important. And uh, it can be very, very scary, but as I said, it's come a long way. And advances in everything, not just techniques, in, in medications and everything, it's keeping, uh, it, it should not make you scared and you should get checked and hopefully you know these days we can make uh, people live better and healthier yeah definitely better and healthier well thank you so much this has been a very helpful and hopeful discussion so thank you thank for coming you. here today it's been such a pleasure meeting you and, and discussing you. this it's a pleasure right. and you. thank you for watching everyone we'll see you next time on Healthline 3